Thanks for listening to the church at Severn Run Messages Podcast. You can find more information about the church at severnrun.com. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Severn Run. So good to be with you guys this morning. And uh, it's, uh, for, for the most part, good to be back in Maryland. I don't know about this weather. I don't miss it one bit. Uh, when I left Charleston uh, Thursday, we had a high of 80 degrees, and uh, this was a rude awakening. And uh, I had to dig a coat out of it. I had to go searching for a coat in the closet just to bring with me. But uh, it is great to be with you. As Pastor Drew said, we, uh, we landed here in Maryland in 2002. Uh, my wife and I moved here to plant a church just down the road in Crofton, and uh, we came here uh, to start that journey, uh, Severin. Uh, was our sponsor church during that time, uh, during the, uh, for the first year we were here, worked inside uh, the, ch- the church of Severn Run. That was when we were down in the old building, the little building up the street, and uh, remember those days well, and uh, that's where I got to know your staff and got to fall in love with them. Gwen and I used to share a little countertop back at the back of the office together, and uh, yeah, and so, uh, but anyway, that's where we fell in love with these guys, and, and still to this day, uh, absolutely love uh, your, your leaders and your staff. Chris Martin, those of you, you, some of you may have been out in the foyer a while ago to see the, the welcome that Chris gave me. About pulled my back out, jumped up in my arms like a little baby, <laughs> wrapped his legs around me. And, uh, but uh, it was so good. It's so good to see him and uh, so good to see you guys and be with you this weekend. Uh, a little bit about myself. As, as Pastor Drew said, my wife Angie's here with me. Angie and I will celebrate 20 years together this year. Uh, yep. We got married when we were babies, and uh, so 20 years has been awesome. Uh, we have four amazing children. I have a picture of them there on the screen. got to show off my kids. Um, luckily, they, they get their looks from their mama. And uh, starting over there on the far left, that's Cooper, and his twin brother is in their striped shirt. The third one there, Cooper and Colin, are twin boys. Uh, they will be 10 years old this May. They were born here in Maryland. Uh, they were three months old when we uh, moved away from Maryland in 2007. And then 19 months later, uh, God blessed us with Cole over there on the far right. They look like triplets, and they act like it sometimes. Everybody thinks they are. And then uh, we were content and satisfied with three. And uh, my wife was uh, loving life as, as the mother of boys. Most people assume that we had a little girl because Angie wanted a little girl. It's not the case at all. Uh, she was content to be in the mother of boys, and I said, I want a girl. I want, me, I want a daddy's girl, and uh, I love my boys, but uh, God fortunately blessed us with Claire. Claire is now four years old. She is a daddy's girl. Uh, she really is. Uh, she, she, she loves everybody, but, uh, but I, I'm happy to say she'll tell you in a heartbeat she's daddy's girl, and uh, I, she's, I'm, I'm absolutely whipped over my little girl, but uh, love, love, love being a dad. And I uh, love getting to share what God does and what God has called us to do in marriage. We're here this weekend not because we're perfect in marriage, not because we've got it all figured out, not that we're the experts, but because God has blessed us, uh, both, of, both Angie and I, number one, with families and parents who have modeled marriage really well. Um, Angie and I are, are incredibly blessed to say that we come from uh, marriages where mom and dads have been married to each other and only to each other uh, for about 45 years. Actually, both of our parents are right around 45 years married. 
and have modeled for us incredibly what it looks like to love well and uh, to live Jesus in the marriage. And then, uh, again, for us, 20 years, it hasn't always been perfect, and, and we don't do it right all the time, but, man, it's been pretty good. And uh, we, are, we are excited to get to just download what uh, not only God has, has shown us in our marriage, but what, most importantly, what we believe God has called us to from his word in marriage. And so this morning, we're excited to kind of continue in the theme of the weekend. Uh, we're going to take a look this morning at a passage. Now, I've got good news for you. If you're here this morning and you're not married and you're thinking, oh, man, is he going to talk? Listen, this morning's for you, too. We're going to look at a passage this morning that's not specifically for marriage. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a passage that the Apostle Paul is going to wrote to the church in Philippi. And it's a passage that he's writing to all Christians, to all Christ followers, about how to do relationships well. How many of you would agree with me today that relationships can be pretty messy? Yep. Relationships can be messy. And, I, and I'm not talking about just like the, the surface level relationships, the acquaintances. I'm talking about when we really get in close with people, when we really decide to love people. Maybe it's our family members. Maybe it's a friend relationship. Uh, maybe it's at work for you. But particularly in the marriage relationship, that when we, when we choose to really go deep in relationship, sometimes it gets really messy and it gets hard. But what if I were to tell you this morning that I could give you, that by the time we leave here today, that I could give you the key to make all of your relationships work? How many of you would like to know that? Now, I know the number one rule of a communicator is to never overpromise. So that's a pretty big promise in 25 minutes to think that I can tell you everything you need to know about how to make relationships work. But I'm going to make that promise this morning. Because I believe that God's word this morning, the passage we're going to look at, gives us everything we need to make relationships work if we'll just heed God's advice and do what it calls us to do. So Philippians chapter 2, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me. Philippians 2, we're going to read verses 1 through 8 together today. Now again, this passage replies to, applies to every person in the room. Whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're dating, this passage applies to every single person who seeks to be in relationship with anybody else in your life. It could be a friend relationship, it could be a family relationship, it could be a work relationship, but this morning we're going to look at this passage, and I believe that all relationship advice, that is that all relationship truth, that, that even though it may not be specific to the marriage relationship, all, marriage, all, all relationship truth flows up to the marriage relationship. That is, if it's true of, of just Christian relationships in general, then we can look through the lens of the marriage relationship and certainly apply it to that. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to primarily stress the marriage relationship as we look at this passage today. But I want you to hang with me if you're not married today because this is for you as well. So Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, here's what we read. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then. Now let me just stop right there. So Paul gives us this if then relationship. He says, if these things are true about you, if, if these things describe what your life is about, then the next couple of verses are for you. 
And so essentially what he's saying in verse 1 is he's giving us a picture of what it looks like for those who follow Christ. So in relationship with Christ, would you agree with me that we receive encouragement from being united with Christ? Say amen if you believe that. In relationship with Christ, we receive comfort from his love. Say amen if you, if you believe that. In relationship with Christ, we have a common sharing in his spirit. We, have, we, we are people of, we are called to be people of tenderness and compassion. If you believe that, say amen. So here's essentially what Paul is saying. He, he's kind of throwing down the gauntlet for us right from the beginning. He's saying, if you claim to be a Christ follower, in other words, if these things are true of your life, if, if at some point in your life you have made a decision to make Jesus Lord of your life, then the things that I'm about to tell you is what your life should look like. And that brings us to the first point there on your notes. That by definition, the life of a Christ follower looks different from those who are not. That is that by definition, that when we believe, become followers of Jesus, that he calls us to live our lives in a way that it's going to look different from the rest of the world. It has to. If, if in our relationships with each other, if we act like everybody else does, then maybe, just maybe, we're not truly following Christ. Now let that be a little bit of a challenge to you this morning. Because the fact is, is if you've committed your life to Christ, he's called you to do things differently in relationships. So let's keep reading there. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 2. So if you are a Christ follower, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Again, by definition, one of the, the characteristics of Christian relationship, what, what, make, what defines a Christian relationship, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a family relationship, and certainly if it's a marriage, what defines a Christian relationship is that there's a unity, there's a, a common purpose, there is a oneness in relationship amongst Christ followers. Second point there in your outline, God's design for Christian relationships, and specifically for marriage, is unity and oneness. God has designed you and I as Christ followers to live in unity and oneness with other people in our lives. That's God's design for you and for me. It's God's design in your friendship. That's God's design in your family relationships. That's God's design in your church. Amen? God's design is that we would live inside as Christ followers in the church, that we would live in unity and oneness. And specifically and definitely in the marriage relationship, God has designed us, you and I, as married people to live in unity and oneness. Now we see this in Genesis. I want to look real quick at a passage. It's going to be here on the screen. I want you to look with me real quick at Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 24. Here's what it says. Now, this is just context. Adam is created, early Genesis 2. God says, it is not good that man be alone, so I'm going to make a helper for him. No suitable helper is found on the face of the earth. And so God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep, removes his rib, creates woman, and says, it is very good. And here's what we read. 
It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become what? One flesh. There's the oneness. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So Adam and Eve, when they were created, they were created by God. They were designed to live in oneness, in unity, and they were created, and they, they were naked and unashamed. Now listen to this. Here's, listen to this. Adam and Eve were created to be naked and without shame and to be able to eat anything they wanted. How many of you think that's a good life? Amen? <laughs> what happened to that? Huh? All right. But here's what, I want you to, here's what I want you to see. What happens, so that's Genesis chapter 2, verses, verse 25 is the last verse of Genesis chapter 2. I want you to notice the very first verse of Genesis chapter 3. Watch what it says. Now the what? The serpent. Now the serpent, the enemy, Satan himself. The moment there was oneness, who showed up? The enemy, the serpent. There is a real enemy in your life and in my life. And here's what you need to know about this enemy. The enemy hates oneness. He hates it. In fact, from the beginning of time, Satan has sought and has devised a plan to, to, to create disunity and to tear apart those who would try to become one. The enemy hates oneness. There is a real enemy in the world that we live in. This isn't a figurative being. This isn't a make-believe being. There is a real enemy that hates oneness. And guess what, guys? It's not your spouse. Your spouse is not the enemy. There is a real enemy who wants to create division and who wants to break oneness in your marriage. And how is he going to do it? Take a look. Genesis, I mean, uh, Philippians, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 3 there. Excuse me, guys. Go back real quick. Genesis chapter 3, Okay. How does the enemy break oneness? What did he do? What did the enemy do? He, he brought about what? Sin. Whose idea was sin? Was it God's? No. Whose idea was sin? The enemy. So the enemy has created a strategy. The enemy has devised a plan as to how to break oneness. Sin, there's the third point of your line, sin is the enemy's strategy to break oneness. Anytime the enemy, anytime the enemy sees unity, anytime the enemy sees oneness happening in relationships, you better believe he's going to show up and he's going to try to disrupt things. And the main way he's going to do it is he's going to bring sin, he's going to, he's going to bring about sin in our life. He's going to tempt us with sin in our life. Now in the next couple of verses, I believe Paul gives us the, the question, now there's lots of sin. We all sin, right? There's lots of, we, some of us have a lot of sin in our life. All sorts of ways that we sin. But I believe that there are mainly a couple of what I would call relationship killers today. There are a couple of relationship killers that if we're not careful of, they tend to disrupt and ruin all of our relationships. And what are those relationship killers? Let's keep reading Philippians 2. 
So he says, be like-minded, be, be united. Verse 3, do nothing out of what? Selfish ambition or vain conceit. The two greatest relationship killers, the greatest hindrance to all human relationships is selfishness and pride. Selfishness and pride. Selfishness is all about what? Me. Selfishness is all about what I want. Pride, on the other hand, pride isn't, uh, pride's a little bit different. How does pride show up in relationships? Pride is I know I've done wrong, but I ain't going to admit it, right? And, and, and usually it, it looks like this. I'm the one that always apologizes. I'm the one that always has to give in. I ain't doing it this time. That's pride in our life. Anytime that we're aware of our sin and we're not willing to admit it, maybe we just don't like to be wrong. Some of you don't, don't, don't elbow your spouse, okay? Some of us just don't like to be wrong, and that's pride in our life. And if we're not, if we don't figure out how to root out selfishness and pride in our relationships, they're going to kill the unity. They're going to kill the oneness in all of our relationships. Now, the problem with that is what? We're all selfish. <laughs> we're all selfish. In fact, it's the common denominator that we're all born with. We all have different personalities. We all look different. We all act somewhat different. But, but the, the one thing at the core of who we are, the one thing that all of us is born with from day one is we're all selfish. And if you've ever been around a baby, you know what I'm talking about, right? From day one, now we love them. They're cute and they're cuddly and they, they grow up to be great people. But from day one... A baby comes out and he's selfish. And how do we know that? Because from day one, what does the baby do? He cries. Why does the baby cry? He wants something. He or she wants something. They don't care what you need. They don't care that you've just given you know, birth for 48 hours. It doesn't matter that you're tired. It doesn't matter that there are other people maybe visiting in the room or, or visiting at home that, that you, you want to spend some time with. And you wanna, it doesn't matter. When a baby wants something, what do they do? They cry. They scream. They pitch a fit. Okay? They, they cry and they pitch a fit until what? Until they get what they want. Now, do you have to teach a baby to do that? No. no. All right. Now, hopefully, we, 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 as they grow up, we teach them not to do that. And hopefully, as we all grow and mature, we come to a point where we do that less and less. But the fact is, many of us are adults, and we still kick, and we scream, and we cry until somebody gives us what we want. Don't nudge your spouse, I'm telling you. But many of us still to this day, and, and, and what is it? That's selfishness. So selfishness is I want what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. And I'm going to kick and scream and yell and do whatever I have to do to get what I want. Selfish ambition. 
And so this morning, what I want to do with the remaining time is Paul's going to give us the anecdote. Paul's going to show us a way that we can overcome these relationship killers. If we don't learn to deal with this, they're going to, it's going to destroy every relationship in our life. But if we'll learn, if we'll, if we'll do what Paul's about to tell us to do, I believe we can overcome these relationship killers, and it will change every relationship in your life, I promise you. So let's take a look. What does he say? Beginning in verse 3, the second part of verse 3. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. The first thing that we've got to do if we're going to overcome selfishness and pride is we've got to choose to see and treat others as if they were more valuable than us. We've got to choose to see and to treat others as if they were more valuable. Now, I want to be careful here that this can be a slippery slope, so let me, let me set the record straight from the very beginning. Is anybody more valuable than you are? No. No. In, in, in your heavenly Father's eyes, you are just as valuable. You are the most valuable person on the face of the earth. And so am I, and so is your spouse, and so is your friends and your family. In, in God's, in our heavenly Father's eyes, we, none of us is more valuable than anybody else. So I want to be careful here that we don't somehow slip into an abyss that somehow we don't see ourselves as as valuable as other people, because you are. However, Paul tells us if we're going to learn how to do relationships right, we're going to choose to see and to treat people as if they were more valuable than we are. Now, what does that look like? I like, to, I like the picture that we're all standing around at a party. We're standing around at a social event. Maybe it's your office party. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a gathering. Uh, maybe it's just a friend gathering. And somebody walks in the door. And uh, uh, we'll, we'll figure out who this is in just a second. But somebody walks in the door, and immediately the atmosphere changes. Immediately everybody at the party straightens up a little bit. All of a sudden, all the attention and all the focus is on the person that just walked through the door. Why? Because they carry some sort of weight. They carry some sort of value in our lives. That we begin to, to, to talk and to act differently in front of them. Why? Because we value them and we respect and we honor them. So let me ask you a question. Who would that be in your life? Who would walk into the room that you would immediately quit talking in a crude way, you would immediately start to watch the things that you say and do, you would immediately begin to, to, to serve their needs to make sure they have what they need. Who would be that person in your life? Maybe for some of you, it'd, it'd be your supervisor. Others of you are like, uh-uh, ain't no way. All right? Maybe it'd be your boss. Maybe it'd be your, your mother or your father. Maybe, maybe it'd be like the, the matriarch or patriarch in your family that just, that just demands and, and, and is treated with value when they walk in the room. Now, now I've taught this passage for, for a while now, and I've used it with premarital couples, and I've used it with married couples who are going through crisis. And I used to give this example, and I want to share it with you this morning, because what I realized recently is we're beginning to lose this idea of what it looks like to be able to value other people. I used to give the example that we were standing around at this party and the president of the United States walked in the door. I could hear the mumbling already. And what I realized recently as I was giving this example, I kind of had to stop and I realized, you know what? The fact is, is we're beginning to lose the idea 
that somehow we can value other people that we disagree with. Somehow we've lost the concept that we can show respect and honor to people that we disagree with. And this isn't a political statement just about where we are. This has been happening for decades. This happened with the last presidency. It happened with the presidency before that. But I believe it's getting worse and worse. And we see it in our culture. We see it climaxing right now. Now, I don't care whether you, you agree or support the current president or not. That's not what this is about. What this is about is that as Christians, as Christ followers, God has called us to a life that even when we disagree with people, somehow we can value and respect their presence and their place in our life. And if we can't do this in culture, then let me tell you, married couples, there's going to come a time in your life where your spouse does something that you don't agree with. There's going to come a time in your marriage where your spouse doesn't behave and act the way that you want them to act. And the question is, in that moment, can you still value your spouse as if they were more important than you, even when you're not seeing eye to eye? If you're in a relationship with Christ, it's what, it's what God calls us to. Okay? So we treat others as if they were more valuable than we are. That is that, that when they walk into the room, now let's put our spouse, we're standing around that party and our spouse walks through the door. Do we treat our spouse as if they're the most valuable person in the room? Do we show them honor and respect in front of the people around us? Do we, do we treat them as if they are the most valuable person in our life? I know there are times in my life where I haven't. I know there are times in my life where I've said things in front of other people or, or corrected Angie that, that demeaned her or made her feel less important. I know there are times in my life where I've not shown her that value and that honor. And that's what God's called me to do, not only in my marriage, but in all my Christian relationships. In all my relationships as a Christ follower, God has called me to see other people as more valuable than me. Second thing Paul gives us there, take a look. He says, consider, uh, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So the second thing we've got to do is we've got to choose to put other people's needs above our own. <clears throat> we've got to choose that other people's needs, that other people's wants, that what, what they what, what their desires are in life are more important than ours. That we're going to seek to meet their needs first before we seek to meet our needs. The fact is, is that when we say I do, when we enter into a marriage relationship, when you stood up at an altar and committed your life to your spouse, what you are committing to is from this day forward, life's not about me, life is all about me meeting your needs and putting your interest above my own. In fact, it's one of the definitions of love. Love is putting somebody else's interest above our own. That's what God calls us to do in these relationships. Now the problem is, and the reason most of us have such a hard time doing this, is because we're afraid that if all we do is look after other people's interest, what? Nobody will ever look after our interest. And that's why in the marriage relationship, that's why it's so important. Now listen, this is for you single people in the room. This is for you dating people, okay? This is for you engaged people in the room. That's why it's so important that we, that we date and that we seek to marry people who are as committed to doing things God's way as we are. Amen. 
Because if we will, if we, if in, in our relationship, Angie is as committed and as submitted to Jesus as I am. And what that means is she is committed to doing things God's way, which means when God tells her to meet my needs above her own, she's submitted to doing that. But the reason she can do that in my life, the reason she can put my needs and my wants above her own is because she also knows that I'm submitted to Christ and that I'm going to be doing the same thing in my life. So she meets my needs and what? I meet her needs. And that's what Christian oneness is all about. That's what, that's what marriage is supposed to look like. So listen, if you're here today and you're in a relationship, you're not married yet, you're in a relationship, uh, the, the, dating is all about considering, is this the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? And I'm here to tell you today that if that person you're dating is not submitted and committed to doing things God's way, it's going to cause trouble for the rest of your life. It's not going to change. Just because you say, I do, doesn't mean they automatically are going to change and all of a sudden put your interest first. If they're not willing to put aside selfishness and put your interest first now, they're not going to do it when you say, I do. Now, if that causes any problems in your relationships this morning, you can email me at drew at severinrun.com. <laughs> all right, here we go. Value others above yourselves. We treat other, we, we, we look to meet other people's needs and put their interest above our own. But the number three thing, and this is the most important thing, is we've got to choose to model Jesus in all of our relationships. Check it out, verse five. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. The key to making marriage, to making your relationships work, is that you would begin and that the, the people involved in the relationship would begin to model Jesus, would have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul's going to give us a picture of what this looks like. Here's what, here's what Jesus did, and here's what he's calling us to do. He says in verse 6, who, being in very nature God... Jesus was God, which means he was the most important person that ever stepped into any room. Everywhere Jesus went, he was the most important person in the room. He was the most valuable person in the room. He was the only person that could legitimately stand up and say, I'm more important than you are. He was God. He can say that. All right? So Jesus, he was entitled, he, he, he was entitled to receive value. He was entitled to receive respect and honor. That's who he was. But check it out. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That is, he, 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 he didn't look to, 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 you know, to advance his own agenda. He didn't look to get his needs met. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself and becoming, what's the word, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Listen, there are going to be times in our marriage 
that we don't want to love our spouse the way God has called us to. There are going to be days in our marriage where we don't think that our spouse deserves to be loved the way God has called us to. There are going to be days that you wake up and there is nothing. You feel like you've given and you've given and you've given and you've never received anything in return. And you're going to want to stop doing what God has called you to do in your marriage relationship. And on those days, the only thing that's going to keep you going is if you've chosen to be obedient to God. And let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Jesus. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying. He's praying all night long. And he knows he's been given a mission. He agreed to the mission. God said, I'm sending you into the world... And ultimately, you're going to give your life. Why? Because we, because I and, and, and you and I together, because we love our creation so much that we want to make a way for, to have relationship with them again. So I'm sending you on a mission. It's going to cost you your life. And Jesus says, okay. And so he comes into the world, the passage says, and becomes like you and I. And he gets to the end of his life, and he, 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 he's... He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows he's about to be arrested. He knows that he's about to suffer a brutal death, the worst of any kind. And he's in the garden praying. And do you remember what he's praying? Let me paraphrase it. God, I don't want to do this. God, I, I don't want to give my life. Now, we don't have time to talk about the theology behind it. We know Jesus was sinless. And so Jesus' questioning, his doubt, whatever you want to call it in this moment, it didn't cross the line of sin. But Jesus is saying, Father, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way that you can accomplish the mission that's not going to cost me my life, it's not going to cause me to have to lay down my life, if there's any other way, I'm asking you to do it. But at the end of the day, he says what? It's not about me. It's not my will, but your will. And that's the picture that Paul gives us of how to make relationships work. Relationships, marriage is going to cause you on certain days, sometimes it's going to cause you to go, you know what? I've served, I've given, I've done everything I can do and to receive nothing in return. I don't want to give anymore. I don't want to sacrifice anymore. I don't want to lay down my life anymore. But at the end of the day, God, if that's what you've called me to do, then in my relationship with you, I say yes to being obedient. And I'm going to continue to do what you've called me to do. Because one day we're going to stand before God we're all going to give an account for how we did what God has called us to do. And it doesn't matter that the other people in your life treated you bad. It doesn't matter that the other people in your life didn't return to you the love and the, 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 the serve that you, that you poured out to them. But God's going to say to you, how did you do with what I called you to do in relationships? Guys, I'm here to tell you, if we will value other people above ourselves if we'll choose to seek other people's interest above our own, 
And if we'll more, above all that, if we'll choose to live and to model the life of Jesus, then I promise you, your relationships will work. And it'll transform every relationship in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you, God, that uh, when we do marriage your way, when we do relationships your way, it works. And God, I thank you that you not only told us how to make relationships work, you showed us how to make relationships work. This incredible picture of Jesus. And so God, I pray today that every person in this room, that Father, you would show us where these things called selfishness and pride are ruining our relationships. And I pray, God, that you would help us to root it out today. Father, that we would completely and fully submit and commit to being obedient to you in all of our relationships. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, here's what we're going to do today. I wanna, we're going to move into a time of response. And I want to suggest just two simple questions to you today. Number one, what is God saying to you? Not what is God saying to your spouse not what is God saying to those other people in your life. What is God saying to you? What have you seen or heard today that God is calling you to do something about? And then the second question I have for you is what are you going to do about it? Because if all we do is just hear a great message and walk out of here thinking, man, that was awesome. But if we don't do anything about it, it was all for nothing. And so over the next few moments, the band's going to begin to play. We're going to go back into a time of worship. And uh, I want to encourage you to respond to God today. There are stations around the room, all, all, all down the walls, the same stations on the left side and on the right side. I want to encourage you to respond to those stations today. And here's, let me suggest a couple ways. There's one station over there. It has some paper. It's disappearing paper, which is pretty cool, by the way. But it represents, it's, it's where we confess sin. Because the Bible says that when we confess our sin to God, not only does he forgive it, but he what? He forgets it. And so I want to encourage you today, if there's sin in your life, what is sin is simply, it's, it's specifically selfishness and pride. If there is any selfishness and pride in your relationships, I want to encourage you to get up today and to go to that station and to confess that to God today. Put that on a piece of paper and put that in that bowl and say, God, would you forgive me? I want to do better. I want to walk, I want to look like Jesus and walk more like him in this relationship. If you're here today with your spouse, I want to encourage you to get up and to go do communion together today. There's communion stations on both sides of the room. Communion represents the fact that Jesus laid down his body. He gave his body and his blood for you and for me. And, and, and communion's first and foremost about our relationship with Christ. But man, what a great picture of the marriage relationship that we are called to lay down our lives for each other. And I want to encourage you as couples today to go and take communion together, to serve each other. And to remember that Christ gave his life for you, and then he calls you to give your life for your spouse. Maybe others of you this morning, maybe it's uh, another relationship. Maybe it's a, a marriage, uh, a family marriage. Maybe you have some friends that are struggling in their marriage. Maybe you've got some people that you're praying for. And I want you to go to the candles today and light a candle. And as you do, just whisper a prayer. Say, God, would you bring the light of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, into my friend's marriage, into my family's marriage, whatever it may be. Who are you praying for this morning? 
And then finally, I want to say, if you need prayer this morning, maybe you're in a place where in your marriage, you just would value somebody praying over you and for you today. We're going to have our prayer partners, prayer teams available along the front. And I'm going to ask you, if you're in a place where you need that, I'm just going to ask you to be so bold as to get up and to come and to say, would you pray for us? Because, man, we really want to do better. We really want to have the marriage that God has called us to. But we need God's help to do so. Would you pray for us this morning? So what's God saying to you? And how are you going to respond? Let's just maybe think and pray through that over the next few moments. And then if God's calling you to respond in one of those ways, then I invite you to get up and to do so around the room. Let's respond together. If you enjoyed today's message, feel free to share it with your friends. And as we like to say, love well, live Jesus, and believe big.